You're riding on the Denial Bus with Patty Crouch and Holly Gates. Um, what would you have wished you would have known before you started? Let's do it on let's, before you had started this journey. Let's do it in twofold. Like what you wish, would have wished you knew about foster care before you possibly could have met Patrick, but also what you would have wished you would have known before you had to start the the documentary. Because I mean, you got some access that I was like floored. I was like. Another reason I came into it a little skeptical, like, what are they really going to be able to say? Because there's so many confidentiality lines and it's, a, you know, it's people's lives that you're talking about and, you know, minors and whatnot. So I was like, I was floored of what you got permission to do. I was like, really? Well, you really got to do that? Like, we spent two years just speaking to everybody who would speak to us, showing up everywhere where, where we were invited. So we went to... We went on ride-alongs in the middle of the night with social workers and police. We went to interactive training with the parent um, and people who were helping to train them. We went to training sessions, simulations with social workers where they were simula- where new social workers who hadn't graduated yet were going in. And I think that people knew our credentials. People knew of Patrick in my life. Mark has written children's books, five young adult books about children um, who suffer from decisions not of their own making, decisions that were made by adults. And so I think, and people heard what our approach was and what we wanted to try to do. And so I think slowly but surely, people began to put their trust in us. At one point, somebody told me, well, you're never going to be able to film minors. You're only going to be able to film grown kids. And we thought, well, I never thought of that. That would completely change the movie and limit the movie. And we were very fortunate that the presiding judge in charge of the children's court, Michael Nash, at the time, believed in a transparent court. He wanted people to come to court. He wanted people to see and know more of what was going on. So that was very helpful. And then Leslie Hymoff, the head of Children's Law Center of California, held us to an unbelievably high standard of how to preserve the children's privacy, what hoops we had to jump through, what steps we had to take, what legal documents we had to sign in order to um, be allowed near children with open cases, and that the children needed to understand what they were getting themselves into and to provide consent. So Dasani was 15 when we started filming. He felt that he wanted to have people see that he could go from zero to hero. Um, Denisha and Sydney were 12 and 13 years old. They took a vote in Mrs. Beaver's household. We met Mrs. Beaver's two years before we asked them to be in the movie, and they voted that they wanted to be part of the movie. So we met people initially. to We were told about their stories, so we knew going in that they were people we wanted to meet. And then we heard how they could speak about the story, because in the movie they needed to be able to do that. Then we went away to be able to discuss among ourselves, were these the people we wanted to put in the movie? And then there was another meeting 
to talk them through what was filming going to be like, what did it mean to have your story out there, and to disclose all of that as best we could so they could take that information and make a decision. And for the people who are in the movie, they decided that that it was important to them that there be story that their story be used to help other people. And now that the movie is done, all of them are very satisfied and f- have found great reward in being part of the movie. Um, so, of the five stories that are in the movie, thankfully we didn't film seven stories and then cut two of those stories out. The five stories we set out to film were the five stories that went in. Oh, wow. There were people who certainly were cut out of the film, but they were more peripheral. They were not these five stories. So Jessica may have had a client who we were following for a while, and that person may have decided not to go forward. Rayanne, the biological mom in the family, um, whose baby was born drug-exposed, dropped out of the movie for a while. It just became too much. And then she came back and wanted to continue. That would have been a tremendous loss if we had lost her. And I was real, I, of course, I respected her wishes and whatever she needed to do, but I was really upset. Mark always believed she would come back, and she did. Um, and we've talked about it since then. As far as what I wish I had known way before I ever did the movie, I never met Patrick's social worker. I never met mm. his attorney. I never met a judge. And there were things that were going on in his life that should have been disclosed, should have been reported. And I didn't know I didn't know anything. I didn't know that you could go to somebody and do that. So there's certainly that that I had not known. Um, as far as going into the movie, um, there's so much we didn't know <laughs> that we wound up learning. We um, we didn't know how stigmatized the parents are, and um, that was that was a revelation to us how how attacked and sti- stigmatized they feel, and so we do feel a responsibility to speak on their behalf. Um, and to talk about the journey they have to go on to try to get their child back, or where that's not possible, is it possible for them to remain in the child's life? In um, in Patrick's case, he never reunited with his parents, and that was according to his wishes. But for an awful lot of children... They turn 18, they want to go back to their parents and hope for a different outcome, to hope that things are different. And when you go, all these reformers and advocates who are working to improve the system, when they take the time to talk to the children and say, what do you need? What could be done differently? What should we do? They constantly hear, I wish you had gotten my parents' help. So those were things that we came to learn and understand in the making of the movie. We didn't know about the caseloads, the the amount of work. We didn't know about the generational cycle 
that this yeah. happens from generation to generation, and how do you si- stop the cycle in the family? In the case of Jessica, the uh, former foster and probation youth in our family and pregnant teen, um, she has stopped the cycle. I don't believe for a second that her children will go into foster care or not be estimable, valuable, fantastic adults. They're already fantastic kids. So I could go on and on about all that I learned. Um, There's so much. And that I'm still learning. Oh, we always are. When you talk about the bio parents, I feel like as a foster parent, you want to blame someone and they end up getting the brute of the blame when in reality they don't deserve that either. Because if you looked at their story, like you said, it they needed the resources and stuff and they could have had a different outcome to it. Jessica was awesome. Amazing. Like I'm excited. We're going to have her on the podcast in a couple of weeks and I'm excited to see where she's taking this and what she wants to do with her boys in itself. And then it's going to be a good, it's going to be another good conversation. All these good conversations coming out of your movie. I love it. I think there needs to be some kind of balance with the parents. There, There's no question that there are some children who need to be removed from their homes. Well, they need to be safe. There are some parents who, for so many different factors and reasons, uh, are not, cannot provide a safe, loving home. And then there are an awful lot of parents who with the right help and with the right intervention and with the right services and with the right support can become fantastic parents. So how do you find the balance in a very yeah. human system? There, there are a lot of people working on that, and there does need to be a lot of work done on that. I feel like people's perception of what family looks like needs to change a lot as well. Um, we've gotten really good at like, you know, transracial families and that kind of stuff. But when it comes to, and there's no words for this. I used to tease about this because there's no word for your foster brother who goes to live with their biological brothers and now has another family, but you're still siblings, but you're not siblings, but you're not cousins. Like it's like, there's no words for how families are generated in foster care and how it could look like the open adoption where, you know, one of my friends has adopted three kids, two kids out of foster care, and they've essentially adopted the father and they do Christmases together on mornings and the father is there. And so it's like they do this co-parenting thing, even though it's this married couple who has, you know, three boys and then the foster, the biological dad comes in, but the biological dad's there for it all. And they've learned somehow to like weave how that family looks so that he is there that, and so it keeps them healthy, safe it's a healthy thing for the child to to have the parent somewhere in their life when that's achievable when, when it's safe possible. when it's emotionally healthy yes, exactly and my daughter's asked for their one of them asked for their biological mom and i'm like when it's emotionally safe for you to be with her we will explore that route you know but it, and that's a hard tough decision as a foster parent as well and not an adopted mom, but like, I'm making this really important choice <laughs> for them. And I'm really hoping that one day they don't regret me for this choice. I and mean, I know I'm going to cause therapy somewhere down the line. I just hope it's not this particular <laughs> hard thing to talk about. So 
Um, what was the hardest part in doing all of it and doing all the movie besides the five grueling years of work? But well, certainly the permission, first and foremost, was huge to get the access. I think it's I you're you're dealing with people who are who can you know we talk about well what's your five year plan what's your three year plan what's your one year plan they have one Some hour of the plans we were dealing with was what's the next hour what's the next day they can't look that far down the road because they're in survival mode are they going to be able to pay their electric bill will they have the next month's rent do they have to take two buses three buses to go do something that's required of them by the court some of the lives are so hard and so challenging and that's painful to see and the amount of help that you know is needed and that you wish you could provide um, it certainly is a good um, reality check for silly concerns in your life. I never believe things are comparative. I I um, made a movie about the Holocaust, so I don't think you can compare suffering for every individual that their suffering is personal and important to them mm. so when people say to me oh I can't talk to you about this concern in my life because you've seen such deeper more important concerns I don't want that to be the case I want my friend or my family member to be talking about something that may not be as challenging as will you get to stay in your home the next month but um, there are some serious challenges that people are up or up against, and and uh, that that's painful to watch. That is the vicarious trauma that the people working in this field need to figure out how to replenish themselves so that they can go back in the next day and the next day and do the work that needs to be done. That is so hard to do. I think parents need to do that on a regular basis as well, and then you add the extra layer of trauma to it and special needs, and you're kind of like, okay, I definitely need to do this. And then to have it be that weird balance where it's your job as well, like would be, like you said, you need to be able to step back and replenish and... How did you yeah, do that during I mean, the movie? How did I do that? Yeah, how did you self-plenish? I mean, you've done two incredibly hard documentaries. I mean, imagining 10 years of being deeply into these heart-stricken, emotional topics. Like, how did you do your self-care? I don't know. I, I think that somehow I can take on both of those subjects, the Holocaust and foster care, better than seeing a violent movie, a really violent movie, or not about the subjects, just to <laughs> shoot them up, aggressive, violent movie, or seeing an animal hurt. I, I, I can 
I can, I think because the subjects are so important and they need the attention, I'm focused on bringing about the story. How do you, how do you do justice to the story? How do you tell the story? I mean, I guess I work out, I go see my friends. I mean, I suppose that's what I do. Um, I didn't shut off to the kids, and so they knew they could call me at all hours. Rayanne told me that she liked when we came to the doctor appointments with her uh, to film because she might be seen in half an hour instead of having to wait five hours. Um, (laughs) Uh, Certain of the people in the movie knew that we could get through to their attorney, we could get through to their social worker, um, and so they would call us, and we could, and we could get an answer when that social worker or that attorney had to turn off from their job. So I may not have done as great a job as turning off, but it's a, sub- it's a story that I really wanted to tell, so I didn't entirely want to turn off from it. Well, I also think that maybe the self-care will be coming as you see this making an impact. It becomes I mean, there's like also tremendous reward in knowing all of these people. So there was great reward and satisfaction from these relationships. I mean, Chris and Rayanne and their little girl, Chrislyn. I still get photo. I got photographs a couple of days ago of Chrislyn in the leaves as they were changing color. She's gorgeous and she's amazing and she's hitting her milestones and she's thriving and I'm in touch with Jessica all the time and Mrs. Beavers and Mrs. Beavers kids and Dasani so even during the movie I had to marry I mean I didn't mean to leave out Mary and and then the people surrounding them so these became relationships and I needed to know how they were doing so that we could make an evaluation of when we could request coming to film. I know Mrs. Beaver's pastor. I emailed him, I think it was last night, and got an, a text back from him. So there was great reward yeah. in that, and knowing that we were going to tell a story that not a lot of people were exposed to. That's that's awesome. I, I know I'm, I'm going to need you to do like a short, which I don't know what that means in documentary films. Like if it takes five years for a long film, I need you to do a short for two years so I can get an update on all these people. <laughs> I don't know how that looks. Right. I may just have to be emailing you and going, everyone okay? Okay, cool. <laughs> I know you can't tell me all the details. I just need to make sure that, because they saw me especially, it's like, I look at my son and him. Like if we hadn't adopted him, where would he be, you know? So it makes me like, oh, I want, I want, I'm rooting for him, you know, I want him to. Everybody's rooting for Dasani. We all want the best for Dasani and Dasani's life has been hard and it's been too hard. It should, nobody it should have that kind of painful childhood. And uh, that's what I have on my, not, I don't have that quote. <laughs> that's to be a really long quote, but I have a quote. I, I'm willing to be hurt so that these kids can be loved because oh. that's what really what being a foster parent's about is that I know that one day, like, we had a son who got taken away from us and it's the worst feeling in your world that you could feel. But I know that he had a good start and then he knows what love feels like. So it's worth it kind of thing. So I, like, that's why I want for all these, the, all, all of them, all of them, but I can't be Mrs. Beavers. I'm already tapped out. I have three. I'm done, but I'm excited. I, I'm, I, yeah, I'm crying again, people. You know, I always do this. 
Um, what was the most memorable moment? Many. I don't know that I could distill it down to just one. You know, Dasani's court case finally closing and the hope of what that might bring was a good moment. Um, uh, I, I don't know, Jessica. Uh, Jessica getting to reunite with the nurse who 10 years earlier had taught her about parenting, who she told us so much about and had never gone back and thanked. And she got to be reunited. Did you solidify that? Did you make that happen? Or? Yeah, we did. And that was, that was fantastic to know what that... For the nurse, this was a group called Nurse Family Partnership, which is... <clears throat> an organization that's been in existence for, I think, over 35 years now. It's a proven home visitation program for first-time low-income parents to teach them about parenting. And it's a two-year program. It's extraordinary. It's really... Wow. It's set the bar for... I think every parent needs that because your first child throws you for a loop. It's one of the really recognized preventative measures to, to that is hoped to prevent these children from being removed from these parents. And so Jessica talked to us a lot about it, about crawling on the floor with her nurse to see what are the um, dangers, where are the outlets, what, what, what danger could her child be in? And it, it created such a picture. And she loved this woman. And she made us laugh about how different this woman was from her. <laughs> Dolgei was her name. And that she didn't think Dolgei was going to work out. And then Dolgei was sometimes the only person in her life who she could count on and who could she could turn to when she was pregnant as a teenager. And, and so we were asked by Nurse Family Partnership when they became aware of Jessica and her feelings about their value, they asked us if she could come speak to a gathering of the nurses because the nurses so rarely get the thank you, get the recognition, get the awareness that their efforts made a difference and helped. So Jessica was more than happy to have that talk. And then we said to the organizer, is Dolce going to be there? And she said, yeah, of course. She, she's a nurse in this region. So he said, fantastic. Did you tell Jessica? No, we didn't <gasps> tell her. And we stood in front of Dolce when Jessica walked into the room and then stepped aside once the cameras were rolling. And then Jessica was giving her talk. And then as she was looking out at the audience, talking about Dolce, all of a sudden she realized oh there's Dojai. And she, it meant so much to her because now what Jessica said was when she was 18, she needed somebody who cared about her, her and her child because she wasn't able to care herself. And so to now that Jessica was 30 years old to be or 29 years old, when she saw Dojai, I guess she was 28 because it was 10 years. That was a thrill for her. And that segment made me cry the first couple of times I saw it. It was very, very, very powerful to see the two of them. And they've seen each other since then. So it's, that was great. 
That's awesome. Did you have a favorite that you had in mind that you wanted me to say? Because it probably is a favorite moment of mine, and I'm just forgetting. <laughs> no, just I mean, when you have 50 hours of film and you cut it down to just under two oh hours. Oh, my goodness. I was every, talking Every moment in the movie is something that you feel needs to be in the movie and is a favorite moment or a favorite point to make. So constantly yeah. throughout the filming, somebody would say something, and we think, yes, that's great. Now we have it on film. Now other people will get to hear what we've learned. That's that's what I was like going towards. It's like the idea of like a somewhere down the line where you had a moment where you just said, we're doing something good here. Like we're doing something great here. Like this is where I'm supposed to be and this is the stories I'm supposed to tell and this is going to make a difference. But I'm pretty sure you know, <laughs> those all throughout now that I think about it because you're dealing with humans that need their stories to be told, you know. It's so. been great to see Sydney and Denisha from the movie, who are now 14 and 15 years old, speak on panels. Mary, our 18-year-old, who's now 21, has found her voice and is a really impactful, powerful speaker. Jessica and Mrs. Beavers love to speak at these events and speak all the time. And... and Sydney calls it my movie. I just love to hear them. It is her movie. She does get to say that and yeah, get a great kick out of that and get a great kick out of seeing how they have blossomed. And I think that this has been a good thing for them. I think that they reflect back now and um, are very grateful to have been in the movie and very empowered and motivated by being in the movie. That's awesome. All because Patrick. Patrick. Well, not even that, like you trying to heal from your mom passing away. Right. And what I haven't said is that my mother was sort of the first foster youth I ever met without ever understanding it because my mother had just turned 11 years old when her parents sent her out of Germany um, in the early days of Hitler to safety on the kinder transport in England, and her parents were murdered in, concentra- in an extermination camp called Belgetz, and she never saw them again, and oh I don't think she ever got over it. She moved from placement to placement. She never had a permanent placement, although there was one family she stayed in touch with for the rest of her life, and um, I did not understand. And she was haunted by the loss of her parents. She left her parents under very Dist- different circumstances. Distressed. But again, it was a disrupted childhood. It was a disrupted youth. And there is no understating how consequential that is for a child to have their childhood disrupted for the many 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 different forces and reasons that can interrupt a childhood man just so so god playing his his role in that is your mom's story and then how you took up patrick 
and almost changed what could have been the exact story of themes at least in his life and how healing that is for you and obviously for Patrick and and for all the people in my life who have gotten to know Patrick yeah like it's just a friend a brother a cousin what a thing to do for your mom you know you know in a way is what I'm seeing like as you were telling me like seeing her story and how we've been talking about Patrick and his story and then all these others like what greatness I don't even know what to say like what word comes out of that like it's uh, just, there's a Jewish word called beshert. It means meant to be. Um, beshert. 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 Be as in boy. Beshert. And, beshert. Uh, you know, I think the Kinder Transport movie was beshert. I think this was. I think meeting Patrick was. I once gave um, Dasani the Robert Frost poem, The Road Not Taken. Because all of these things are about, you know, that fork you get to and do you go this way or do you go that way? And then what becomes of whatever, you know, then it becomes a kinder transport movie. It becomes a foster movie. It, who knows who Sydney and Denisha will become. And uh, yeah. you know, did this, imp- I mean, obviously Mrs. Beaver's impact is the greatest of all. Um, and what they went through before they got to her household. But, yeah. you know, what happens because they felt empowered at the age of 12 and the age of 13 that they found a voice. I don't know. I might never know. I hope, you get, I, I hope you get glimpses of it at least. <laughs> okay, so what's next? Like, are you already deep into the next documentary? Do you have any clue what you're going to be doing, what you want um, to do? I don't want to leave this world anytime soon. I have made really important, fantastic relationships. The foster and, world? Yes. Okay. The, <laughs> I was, I was ad- all like, I don't think you're dying anytime <laughs> the, soon. The advocacy world. Okay. So it's the entire world. So whether it's the people working to reform the system and to improve it, or the people whose lives are touched by it. I'm very, um, I'm inspired by so many of the people I've met. And so um, one of the things I'm doing is figuring out how do I remain within this world and where is my place in this world or do I just continue to keep track of it and update my knowledge as things improve and things change or as bad things happen, which I hope is fewer, but sadly it's yeah things, bad things will continue to happen, unfortunately. Um, so I want to continue to stay in this world and I have a couple of projects that I'm looking at. It's, it's been a slow um, I wouldn't say exit since I'm not entirely leaving it. I've, I've not, I'm going and speaking about Into the Arms of Strangers in a couple of weeks. I made that move, that movie came out in the year 2000. So I think these projects are so personal that in my case, I never quite leave them. Which is but awesome I, because it, that's the only way you can make a documentary is if you're passionate about <laughs> these projects. But I, I do have new projects that I'm looking into doing. So we'll see what happens with them. It's too soon to know. So how, this is a weird question. How did you go from comedy? Because you 
produced TV with the Drew Carey show and all these other, the George Lopez, I think was one of them on your credits, like all these comedies and then tackling these not comedic <laughs> people would not call these comedic topics. Wow. Although we have to have comedy in life in order to like survive it. Well, I do have a sense of humor and I do like to laugh. And so I've always been drawn to clever people, funny people, talented people. I got into comedy completely by accident. Um, I was working at the television company Lorimar Productions. And at the time they were doing dramas and comedies and movies and TV movies. And it just so happens that Miller Boyette, the comedy producers, tapped me and pulled me out and offered me a position. And I worked on The Hogan Family with Jason Bateman. And that was the start of my comedy career. And then I, I love had show. job upon job and you know good fortune and, and stayed and did a lot of comedy TV shows, had fantastic business partners that... I worked with a man named Bruce Helford, who's running the Connors right now, and he created the George Lopez Show and Drew Carey and Wanda Sykes, and we worked with Bernie Mac and yeah, legends. And I'm like, um, would love to even see perform buying a ticket. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, so many TV shows, and and then I went from there and I worked in international television, which I had never done, and I got to work on Downton Abbey, and I got to work on a TV series for HBO and the BBC with Christopher Guest and um, Chris O'Dowd and and then um, went back to doing another documentary. I had never done a documentary before I did a documentary. So I seem to do things that I've never done before and and then want to tackle them and figure out how to do them. So um, uh, comedy was not an ambition, but I loved being around people who made me laugh all the time. And I loved working with the crews. I loved what I did. And the other thing I found, I worked on a, on a really important play by Ethel Fugard called Master Harold and the Boys. Um, it was an anti-apartheid play. And I worked with two... South African victims of the apartheid regime, black Africans, um, and um, they had suffered terribly under apartheid, and they would joke about it. And I have seen that in the darkest of situations, people find humor, and... Zake Smokai, one of these South African men, said to me, well, what's the alternative? What else yep. are you going to do? And so I think that in our movie, there are moments of, of real laughter. Jessica is funny. Mrs. <laughs> Beavers is funny. Denisha is funny. And um, so I like that we were able to Un unfold and disclose the humor, even in foster care. Oh, completely. And a lot of the skills I learned from working on these comedy shows 
I brought to the documentary. It, this documentary was the hardest thing I've ever done. And thanks to my television producing um, skills, I, I was able to get through some of the things that sometimes appear to have no solution. I mean, you're, you want to interview Dasani, and the group home won't let us film at the group home. Where, where do you film Dasani? You need to find a place. You're, you're going to interview him. Well, so I drew upon my other producing skills to, to help us find an appropriate place where, and we wound up going to school, which made sense. But you, you, some of the challenges, some of the problems in making a documentary or making a comedy or making a drama or making a movie are tap into similar school skills. And if I had not done all of that. I wouldn't have been the producer that it required me to be with the help of a couple of other great producers, Lisa Remington and Samantha Pollan, on this movie. That's awesome. I, don't, I always say that if I, if I don't laugh, I'll just be crying all day. <laughs> so I have to, you have to laugh. Okay. And you have to bring that humor to it. And it's amazing that your journey, your journey of all the comedy allowed you to tackle a subject in this way, which is awesome. Like you drew on all your strengths and all your, all that you learned and all that you knew, you know, and I'm excited to see what's going on next though. I'm like, did you hint something? I'm trying to like decipher if there was oh, any hints no, or anything. I don't have, I'm sorry. There, there are no hints because they're too early on. Oh no, I totally no. get it. What will become of them? Well, I'm excited to see what it is and what you do. We'll have to do an update in six months in a year and see what is your, you definitely have more of the capacity to to stay on top of these things than I do with my three kids. Right. <laughs> so I'll definitely need to have uh, someone in the inside going, okay, this is what's changing, this is where it's going, this is what's happening, and we can do an update right. of what's going on and where Foster, where else it's being mandated to be seen, which I think is the most brilliant thing about it. Is that's, that's gonna be I do want to awesome. say, if people want to see the movie, they can see it on HBO Go and HBO Now, if they want to um, find the toolkits that help them discuss the subject, um, Participant, which is the social uh, media company dedicated to movies of social impact, um, shepherded a great toolkit and impact program, and we partnered with a nonprofit called Fostermore. So you can go on to, um, I think it's, I have to look and see, but we have a website where you can get more clips about the movie. So if people go on um, www.thefosterfilm.com, they can find these toolkits um, in Los Angeles uh, in um, conjunction with the Rose Bowl and the Rose Parade. We're going to be in Pasadena, uh, live on the green, and they're going to play a continuous loop of the movie uh, for three days for the 700,000 people who wow. come there. The theme this year is hope, and they see all the that hope fits that right is in. in our film. So we're very pleased about that. And we get asked to have panels and to, be, to participate in conferences and screenings all the time. We have a multi-church group 
coming together um, in January to have a screening. We have this adolescent health medicine, um, adolescent health conference down in San Diego that's happening. So there are things going on with the film all the time. I'm really glad you're going to be speaking to Jessica Chandler so people get to hear from her because she's just extraordinary. So I hope people will seek out more information about this movie, the toolkit. And we're really, so Mark Jonathan Harris, the writer-director, and I are really grateful to Participant, Emerson Collective, uh, the Casey Family Programs, the Conrad and Hilton Foundation, Ralph M. Parsons Foundation, Barry and Wendy Meyer, who we did Into the Arms of Strangers with when Barry was running Warner Brothers, and USC all supported this film, all enabled this film to get out there and be made, and HBO, HBO, HBO. I mean, they have been tracking on this movie for over 10 years, and when they saw the movie, they really um, moved very quickly to buy it, to license the movie for HBO and we're so happy to have them as our distributor. Everybody there was just fantastic to us and so supportive and and I do hope people will go watch the full-length film on HBO. I've told everyone to because it's a great depiction of a reality what foster care is. So I thank you for not only taking your time with me this morning, but also just using your gifts and talents to shed light on this topic, which is obviously dear to me, but needs to be dear to everyone. So thank you for, for thank doing you for that. Thank you for having me. It was great talking to you. And thank you for what you're doing in terms of getting the message out, in terms of taking in these three children who you're mothering. It's Thank you. We're doing greatness. We're doing good things. Thanks for riding on the denial bus. But your stop's coming up. You're going to have to get off. Get back to the real world. Life. Don't worry. You got this.